Coaching. We are here again at the Iowa Soccer Symposium with two fantastic guests. A little uh, bang for your buck here with uh, a special episode. We have uh, Marin McCary. McCrary. McCrary. And Eloisa Burraguero. All right. Fantastic. Money. Um, Ladies, we're so excited for, uh, you know, to have you on the podcast. Thank you again for not only being at the symposium, but taking time out of your day to talk with us. Um, As we always start, especially with new guests, uh, we've had a couple uh, people on today that we've had in the past as well. Um, But we'd love, you know, just your background in the game, how you got involved with it, um, your coaching journey and what you're up to now. You want to start us off? Okay, I started. Yeah. I started last I know. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm from Madrid, Spain. I started playing soccer, well, when I was a little baby. And then at the age of 12, I decided that I wanted to be in a team, like my brothers. The problem is that there weren't any teams until they started building the Atletico Madrid Academy. And I was very lucky and fortunate to be in the right time, right place to to be part of that first generation of women in the academy. I started competing a couple of years after that because there wasn't enough women. So anyways, I was a goalkeeper. I played second division the majority of the time. And then I played for one year professionally in Spain as well. And at the age of 23, I decided to come to the States to learn English. So I left everything, my studies, coaching, playing, and I was gonna take a six month gap to be a nanny, but it's been 10 years. I haven't been back <laughs> to live there. So um, I continued to play in a small Christian university outside Chicago. It's called Judson University. They give me a scholarship, play there, goalkeeper. And I was also coaching as well. Mm-hmm. So that was always kind of like a part of life, coaching and playing. And I stopped playing when I was 28 and I continue to coach. I, I coach in Chicago, now San Diego, and I currently am involved now with the youth national team, the U15, and I attended the U17, and for the last four years, I've also been involved in coaching education. Fantastic. You want to, I mean, should we dive into your background first as well, and then we can kind of bounce around? Sure, happy to. Yeah. Um, so, I did not grow up in the exotic uh, other country, but um, very much a, you know, U.S. youth soccer pathway for for me. I grew up playing in Colorado and um, did the whole ODP system, kind of joined the college ranks right after Title IX was really booming all of the college soccer programs. So... um, I got recruited to go play at BYU, Brigham Young University in uh, Utah. They were a second year program when I showed up. Um, nobody given uh, any, any kind of reputation or expectations for anything. Um, in that first year, we became a top 20 program. And, um, you know, by the time I left, I had become a two-time All-American. I was a forward. I was scoring goals on high school and I, I loved, I loved playing college soccer. It had it was honestly, it was one of the highlights uh, of my whole career was playing soccer in college. And uh, I was really lucky because the first women's uh, soccer 
professional league started right after I graduated, about a year later. So I spent a year coaching at UNLV before um, the WUSA started. And I was actually just telling somebody how cool of an opportunity that was to still be playing um, and to start kind of coaching because coaching makes you so much of a better player. Um, it's so unfortunate that so many of us play, stop playing, and then start coaching. Oh. And, you know, you, you go back and you're like, oh, if I had known this earlier, I could have, you know, made myself a better player. So I really, just like Elisa mentioned, I really feel fortunate to even just have, you know, six months of coaching at the D1 level. Yeah. And then taking yeah. that knowledge to the pro game was was outstanding. I feel really lucky to have been able to play you know, I was, I was telling the girls in there, you know, I'm watching the 99 World Cup and a year later I'm on the field with these women, you know, the, the Norwegians and the Chinese and the Brazilians and the U.S., you know, all of these national team players. I just find myself, I'm like, I can't believe I'm, I'm on the field with these women. And um, So I got to play three years of professional soccer, you know, growing up, never expecting to have an opportunity like that and being able to finish my playing career at the highest level was um, such a blessing, such a blessing for me. Um, after the league ended, I moved back to Colorado, um, trying to figure out what am I gonna do with my life? Getting ready to go to law school. Um, and, and I met my now husband who was a cadet at the Air Force Academy. He is the reason that I am not a lawyer and I'm a soccer coach. <laughs> um, and so I followed him to Del Rio, Texas, and so where he could attend pilot training. Um, there was no club soccer there. There was, uh, I, I became a PE, a middle school PE teacher too, and I was probably one of like five white people white in the entire, in the entire community um, at the school there. And I found that I could connect with these kids, these middle school, these middle schoolers through soccer. Um, so that was actually what kind of inspired my coaching career was being able to have this platform where I can't speak Spanish, I can listen to them, but I can't communicate with them, but we get on the soccer field and we all just get along and we could connect. And so that's really what started my coaching career. I've moved around um, through the Air Force as a spouse and um, because of that, I've been able to have a lot of different coaching experiences and, you know, everything from college and high school all the way down to grassroots, you know, four-year-old kids. Um, I've coached my own kids. I've coached boys and girls. And having a variety of experiences has actually, um, I think, been a big a big part of my coaching pathway, making me the coach that I am today. Um, as we've talked about before, like learning how to accommodate the player that's in front of you and responding to their needs, not expecting them to respond to me. Yeah. You know? um, so I, I love um, where my pathway has taken me. I've been able to be involved in a lot of different things. I'm currently a coach educator for U.S. soccer. I'm a youth national team scout for U.S. soccer, but I also coach a U13, you know, barely competitive team, you know, in Colorado. It's my daughter's team, and it's been it's been fantastic. So I I love being able to do a lot of different things um, and be involved in this game 
and helping to promote it in, in any way that I can. Mm. Um, and since we're at the symposium, I want to, obviously there's a lot to dive into there, but have you, either of you done, you know, symposiums or, uh, presentations before? Oh yeah. 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 Um, yeah, I, I was a technical director in Nebraska, so I was involved in putting on some of these and, uh, was definitely spoken at those yeah. and also United Soccer Coaches Convention, um, been part of those before awesome. presenting. I think with coach education, it feels like we're always doing symposiums. They're, they're not yeah, symposiums. Right. Well, I haven't done any symposiums in Iowa. But the courses, you know, coaching courses, coaching education courses, one of the reasons I love instructing those is because I feel like I go into every course that I teach wondering what can I learn from the coaches I'm working with, the coaches that I'm mentoring. And that's what's great about these kinds of environments is everybody's coming with how can I make myself better? How can I learn? What can I take away from this? And when we all come into an environment um, like that, we're, we're all better for it. Mm -hmm. I, uh, we'll dive into a little bit about your sessions as well. And we kind of get in the field, but also, at the end of the session, I noticed you, you brought the girls in. And I think you both talked to them a little bit, just kind of gave a little speech. I want to dive into kind of what you said to those girls and maybe, of course, you're trying to inspire them or just give them advice and stuff like that. Maybe a little bit about that. Yeah, that was with your group, right? We, at the end, we talked about that, giving that inspiration. For me, I told, I told her, I see something in in these girls, mm -hmm. Iowa, probably because I've seen players in New York, I, the East Coast players, the Chicago players, and now the California players. Mm -hmm. Very, very different profile. Mm -hmm. And that is because the culture, the, the beliefs, the way of living, it, that makes us who we are. So coming and seeing them, they're coachable, they understand, they listen, they're attentive. Like, you can get a little bit of feeling like it's a great group of girls. Mm. And is that different? So is that a good thing compared to other states? Well, funny you say that because it doesn't mean that the other girls are not <laughs> And I wasn't saying that. <laughs> but it is, it's just a different, it, maybe it's because of the setup or maybe it's like they're looking at you and this is something that we spoke in the room. One of the obstacles is that girls that are not exposed to women coaches, they're looking at us like, it's a woman, like, what does she know? Oh, We're not yelling at sure. them or because of their own experience. So they already have believed that the profile of a great coach, it looks and sounds like this. So when girls are not exposed to a different voice and different looks, some of them take it like, where is it my mom type of thing? Like, she's not punishing me. She's mm. Oh, she's denying me, man. She's such a bossy, like, oh my God, I can't stand her. <laughs> so we, personally, I navigate through that. So when we're talking to them and they're looking at you and they're attentive and you see their eyes, like, wow, that, that's super cool feeling. So that's what I mean by, by the group of saying, man, I always cool. You know, like maybe like you said, maybe there are things that the state is doing to grow the game. And this is one of us, the fact that we're here, that means that they see that we bring value to the young, the next generation of women. So that's why I read. 
I, I tried to give them, um, when I have opportunities to speak with kids in this where I only know maybe meet them for one session, I try to leave them with a little soccer tidbit that might help them kind of going forward. So um, I shared a story with them about my second year playing professional soccer. I was playing with the San Jose Cyber Rays and we had a game against the Washington Freedom. And this was in my hometown. We were at Mile High Stadium in Denver, Colorado. And we were playing, so the forwards for Washington Freedom at the time were Mia Hamm and Abby Wombach. Those are two so, decent. Prolific scorers, right? Um, I was a forward my entire you know, career that mattered. Um, my first year in the pros, I was, I was a forward. All through preseason, I had been playing forward for the San Jose Sabres. And in the locker room, before we went out for warm-up, my coach comes to me and says, Marin, I'm going to have you play left back, and you're going to have to be responsible for Abby Wambach. And I love to tell kids this story because I can't tell you how many times as a coach, I'm sitting there and I tell a kid, I need you to go play this position. They're like, no, coach, I am a yeah. fill-in-the-blank, yeah. right? And, and so I tell I was telling the girls this story. I said, I said, girls, what do you think I told the coach in that moment? And then, you know, they all know the answer. I, was like, I said, yes, coach, absolutely. Whatever you need, I'm going to give my best effort. I'm going to do it. And the story goes, and this is legit, they did not score. Abby Wombeck did not score. Hampton did not score. Ended in a 0-0 tie. My whole family was in the stands, and they're like, why is she playing defender, you know? And, and, and the reason is because I said yes. Yeah. I wanted to be – I'm a soccer player first. These girls, I, I love to tell kids this story because – you're a soccer player first. Be confident in being a soccer player. You're not a position. You're not defined by a label. Be the best that you can be. Take advantage of your opportunities. And, you know, like for me, I wanted to be on that field more than anything else. If he had said, go be a goalkeeper, I'd been like, okay, I'll, I'll do it. It wouldn't have been pretty. Yeah. They would have scored. Yeah. <laughs> I goalkeeper, but they a story then. <laughs> no, but you know what? What, what you're saying that, you weren't thinking about being afraid of failing as an outside player. And that also just says a lot about who you are as a person. And you were like, hey, yeah, I'm doing it. You weren't thinking, I'm not good enough. I never played there. Oh my God, what are they going to say about me? I'm going to make mistakes. Versus, hey, yeah, coach, tell me I'm here. So it's like overcoming those obstacles and feeling confident with the option that it may happen. We may fail, we may make mistakes, and it's okay, but that tells you, you have security, I'm doing it. And hopefully that's the kind of message that those those girls get. I, I tell the story to boys too, yeah. and I think I think it's really valuable that, you know, for you to even bring that up is, I mean, yeah, that's, that's what I think both of us do in our coaching, is we want to develop players who have that kind of confidence who say, yeah, there is a risk of failure, but I'm going to go after it anyway. Is, is that a deficiency in you, soccer? Yes. And how do we fix that? Well, that's a, that's a, we ask the hard hitting questions on the board. How can, how can we, how can we help? We have to stop telling players what to do and get, empower them to figure out. Actually, you know what happened right after my session? The girls came, thank you for the session. And one player comes, Coach, what do you think I can do better? 
that shocked me a little bit. And I would feel like, do you have fun? <laughs> oh yeah, but what do you think I can improve? And I'm like, I don't know, you tell me, what do you think you did? And you could tell how it was like that demand of has to be perfect. Like that, mm-hmm. like it has, it has to be, you never stop. And it's proving yourself constantly because otherwise that may be that gap of failure or not acceptance or, so I said, you did a good job, you have fun, but just don't overthink because each place is going to be different. The moment I said that, kind of see a little bit of tear, like, don't tell me that. I need to know everything. Yeah. And I just smash it, like, oh, you know, it's okay. Experience it. I, I've seen so many players. I remember coaching a college game probably six years ago, and I had a player on my sideline. She was in the game. The ball comes to her. There's opponents coming at her and she turns and looks at me and says, coach, what should I do? And it's because they've been trained to hear this joystick coaching to tell them what to do. And I was, I mean, this was, you know, pretty early in the season. I was the new head coach. And I, I said, my soccer, I, I cannot solve your problems for you when you're in the game. Right. I can give you the opportunity. I can teach you beforehand, read the game, make your own decisions. And you have the ball at your feet. I'm empowering you by not telling you what to do. I'm empowering you to make your own decision. I trust your decision. So I, that's the thing. We, we have to do something by not, by saying less. Mm. By pulling back. I'm creating that safe space where they can feel comfortable, be authentic. That's probably the I would say the difference having coached boys and girls yeah. at that young age. Yeah, high school ages, that's that's when it's like that's a whole different thing. But ages 12, 13, 10 to 13, that's where you see boys saying, Hey, like this boy do whatever they want. And that's where girls starting out to caring more about how they perceive mm-hmm. and how all that I'm gonna think about them. So and, and I'm gonna put my foot here on the pedal but I asked many of my friends like why do you coach girls like you then you for them man they're so easier like they just do what I say like they just listen they just they're gonna listen to me and they're gonna do what I say and that just kills me because I'm like yeah, that's a problem. Like you need to give them tools so they learn to make mistakes because we women, we're pleasers. We want to please. That's our nature. And that's when, yeah, I mean, we can gravitate more to one level or another one, but our nature is to please, to help, to collaborate. So when we're trying, when we're beat up on obstacles and it's like, what the heck? Like, of course we're going to go now. Like, no, I'm not doing it. And now we become completely the opposite. So that's that's what I found of talking to coaches. And you know, like it's fine. Like everybody has a reason why we coach. But when somebody's telling me that you choose, you rather coach this gender and this age group because they listen to you, it breaks my heart. Mm-hmm. Because then it's like, okay, then to me it's hopeless to think that I'm not saying that the girls are not having fun or that they're not being developed. And they may not be inspired or empowered mm-hmm. for the future generations. Yeah. Well, and it's like also so important too, right? Of 
One, the complexity and the difficulty even now with social media, right? So we were talking to Paul Bright about, you know, how, uh, you know, coaching education with the coaching manual and similar platforms, it's easily, easily accessible and coaches, you know, can utilize these. But the flip side of that is when youth players, especially, right, are on all these social media apps, the demand, right, or the expectation, now they can see, you know, it, it can go both ways. And it's very, very complex. And I think it's so important to have, like you said, um, you know, a role model that can, you know, show them a way or, or help guide them and inspire them and not just, you know, tell them everything or, okay, they're, they're just going to listen. Um, and I would love to dive into, uh, as you guys were talking about, both, uh, you know, kind of right place at the right time, especially getting into, you know, the professional um, game in, in Title IX as well. Uh, where were your coaches uh, at those levels? Were they female or were they male? Um, I only had male coaches growing up as a youth player mm -hmm. in high school and club soccer. Um, I, I had one of the few female head coaches at BYU. She's still coaching. Um, at BYU? At BYU, yeah. Which wasn't that long ago, by the way. You were in college. I wasn't and that was my first, that was my first ever experience with a female really? head coach. Um, I one one year in the pros. I had a female head coach. Every other coach was all male. Interesting. For me, it was the opposite. If my first experience playing, the president was a woman. The technical director was a woman, and my coach was a woman. That was the only time I had that. And that was in Spain. And that was in Spain. Is that culture? No, that's completely. That's the opposite. But. They, the president, her name is Lola Romero. She built that and she was fighting for years to have a league for women. Mm -hmm. So I don't know how many more years she spent trying to fight that battle. And she got on the club because there was another man that said, I'm gonna help you because you wanna inspire, you wanna change. You and they allow them or help her build the structure of the Atletico Madrid. Fem now Femenino Academy. Now it's part of the men. Like for the last, I think, six years, they become like a same system. Mm -hmm. But when she created it, it was like a separate. We were supported by the, everything, but she is running it. And, and that's what I said before. To me, that was my first experience. So I would go home and say to my parents, I'm going to be the president one day. Like, that's cool. And my two coaches that coached me back in the day, they're still coaching. Uh, they were super young women and they're still around the game. So that was my first experience. No more. Like after I turned 15, mm. I never had any other women. Either like teaching in courses or coaches or anything. And again, this is going to be a, a loaded question with a lot that we could go into, but I would love just to touch on again, we started this podcast to kind of help educate whether it's the rural soccer fan here in Iowa or, you know, however our reach is. And I think we have the unique opportunity now to just kind of shed light on some of the difficulties or expectations on just being a female coach in a largely male dominated industry. I would love to 
for you to take that however you want to start and wherever you want to dive in. Um, but would love to just kind of get some insight on that uh, experience. <laughs> you know, I mean, obviously we've been asked this question, both of us have been asked this question multiple times, and this is not the first time today. Um, and, and you hit it on the head. There's not just one challenge, yeah. right? There's, there's multiple challenges and those challenges, it's not like, it's not like I got over an op- one of the one of those obstacles early in my career, and now I've never had to face it again. Like many of the obstacles that female coaches experience and face are kind of constantly there, so they're constantly. So there are times where it feels like you're just banging your head against the wall, you know, over and over and again, expecting that maybe this time it'll be different, um, and, and it can become exhausting. Um, you know, we, we've spent time talking today about how many women that we know, phenomenal coaches who are leaving the game because of these many obstacles that it just feels like you're just constantly going against an uphill battle. I mean, every, everything from um, you just walk into a room and, and you don't have the respect you're not, we're not judged necessarily based on our competency. Mm were judged based on, you know, well, how many years of experience in Division One soccer have you had? How many years of, you know, professional playing did you do you have? How many years of, you know, and so these labels are placed purely based on experience versus competency. Yeah. And so I think there's, I know there are, I think there's women out there who don't have professional playing experience that doesn't make them any less competent as a coach, but you, you can't, it's almost, it's very difficult for women to get into the game at high levels as a coach without that kind of experience. I think men do it all the time. I think that there are, um, and, and I think men face some of those, those same challenges as well, but there's, there's just a lot of labels placed along the way, um, and assumptions made. Uh, you know, the, the classic ones are you walk onto a soccer field and if we're walking side by side, the referee assumes you're the head coach. You know? even, even this last fall, I'm, I'm just coaching a game and the referee would respond differently to my voice than to the opposing male coach's voice. You know, and it's, that doesn't make you feel good. And, and we know we have to deal with it and we deal with it and we deal with it. And it was funny because the referee after the game went and told his female supervisor, he didn't realize she was a female until he went and got her. And, and she came over and said, he said that he had to kick you out of the game. I said, that's not true. He didn't kick me out of the game. So he's making up stuff as we go. And um, I mean, this is, I, I've been a coach for 20 years and I'm, I'm having to deal with you know, a referee who isn't respecting me. Um, you know, he, he's making a judgment based entirely on the way I look, not at all based on my competency. So I think those are some of the, those are, you know, the work, family, life, balance um, are some major obstacles. I, I mean, I have three children, I have a husband, and, you know, for me, I also was a military spouse, am a military spouse. So there's all these, 
I think those are some additional challenges that, that women face. Um, mom guilt in any profession is, is real. Um, it's definitely, definitely real for me. Yeah. And, you know, I could go on and on, but I'll let Eloisa add <laughs> some of those challenges. No, I, when you're talking about that, I feel like, wow, I didn't think about that, but that also happened. So it's the least, you know, it's so long, but just to make it more practical, I, I remember joining a club, they hire me and they give me the clothes and their men's clothes. Mm -hmm. I have a problem with that. And I'm like, I can't believe they're giving me makeup. I'm like, I'm not wearing it. Well, you know, they, they're talking about how professional we are. We look the part, we have all of these, ask me whatever you want. And you're giving me men's clothes. I'm like, I'm not wearing it. I'm sorry. And it doesn't don't then that that's not right. Why? Yeah. Because if you're talking about looking good and feeling good and representing well, those clothes feel bad on me. Now I can choose maybe a preference or because of the cat or the, but give me the choice to wear the clothes that make me feel more comfortable based on my body. Yeah. Um, so those those have always been my fight. Every time every starting a new job, I'm like, oh, let's see the clothes. <laughs> And then I have I have problem because now it's too short. So I'm like, what is, why the women's coat? A cut needs to be so short. Now why you need to be showing the whole length? Like I don't understand. So anyway, that's my thing with the branding and marketing yeah. and sporting trends. <laughs> but that's a real problem for me because that's the clothes that we wear all the time and we want to look I don't think it's very feminine to wear in a sport coach all the time, but you want to feel good with your body and want to feel professional and wearing things that doesn't feel good, doesn't help. So that was one, but... Um, no. It's one of those little no. things that most people wouldn't think of. But it makes a huge difference. Like you're thinking now about, okay, like my boss was like, oh, yeah. Like, I feel like I was put in situations to challenge, not challenge in a bad way, uh, especially with my father. Like, he didn't think I could play or I could be involved in the game. So I kind of, I was a rebel to challenge his thought. And, and it was his ignorance because of the way he grew up. It's not his fault. If he's not exposed to that, then you're going to make your own assumptions because we're human. But yeah, a lot of... I've been in that case where referees don't come to me and go to the assistant coaches or just hear comments that are so bad towards the girls, like mm -hmm. so mean. Or And I just stop them. I'm like, do you think that it's a thing to say about a player or doing, being descriptive in a very negative way about, no, you shouldn't do that for boys or girls, but it's like, oh, they, oh my God, this is a good one. I was I was walking to a, a goalkeeping training, so I play goalkeeper, and this coach was training girls and boys. They were high school, and all of a sudden I hear, "Okay, you need to dive like a guy," and I turn around <laughs> and I'm like, "You're losing your battle there because that's never gonna happen." Because she's a yeah, you know, and not to get into but like, what? Who will say that? Like, if you're telling me that as a feedback from a coach. I was very confused. I'm like, what do you mean, coach? Like, you want me to dive like a like a guy, like a boy? Tell me how that looks like. <laughs> so when you hear that, I'm like, we're far, we're really far behind. We're not getting it. So I I had that sure. conversation. I asked them, sure. I'm like, what does that mean? Tell me what you mean. Well, like we can fit. 
then say quicker fit because she can't fit that right now no, and feel good about herself and not feeling I'm a bad goalkeeper and I'm never gonna be a, a, like a guy goalkeeper. Yeah. And now you're educated. Well, and you brought this up earlier today. Um, even even parents and fans' perceptions of what a male coach should look like versus what a female coach should look like, how a male coach can speak versus a female coach can speak. You know, if we come across too, you know, boisterous or loud, then we're considered, oh, she's bossy, you know, she's rude. And, and we could say the same thing as male, you know, and, and it would come across completely different. People, even, even, even some female players, I think, who have not had a lot of exposure to female coaches, it's almost like they show up and they expect to be nurtured and mothered rather than pushed and encouraged and inspired and motivated. And so balancing those dynamics is probably something, I don't know if male coaches think about this or not. I know we have to spend a lot of time thinking about how am I speaking to my player? How is it being perceived? You know, because I'm not your mother on the coach. I'm not here to nurture you. I'm here to make you a better player, make you a better person. And, and help you want to do that, you know, develop yourself. Um, but how I am perceived in doing that is, is uh, judged very differently. Yeah, it's, this could go on forever. <laughs> but I, I think, mean, it, it has though, right? Like it's a yes. persistent problem. Like, That's what I mean. yeah, like absolutely. these things don't change, absolutely. right? Absolutely. And I think that you guys are obviously doing a fantastic job. The, th the, the piece with the clothes, if you hadn't said something, the next female coach would have been dealing with the male clothes. So the people like you, the guys are the paving the way. And I know, we want to be respectful of your time, but I completely forgot my question. Because <laughs> Stop I was getting, the I was getting excited. <laughs> um, but I think that, I, I think we're a little bit naive here and maybe not you, but myself just being in Iowa, that I don't see it that much. And maybe because I'm not around the girls' game, but we do have a lot of coaches, I think female coaches that are very progressive, very driven, and they want to change the game and they want to change these things. And I see a lot of positive through that. And, and I haven't been probably to many other states that are a little bit larger, maybe and have that, that more, uh, what's the word, more, male dominating I, I just think as i said we're, we're behind but we are progressive so let me tell you the i'm sorry to interrupt you no no so if i go to if you and i go to a new state where there's so many you know even california yeah just and you want to coach mm -hmm. and that's going to go back to the point you brought up before about how a woman feels competent to do a job mm -hmm. if you and i show up to a club that has 50 teams mm -hmm. there's wreck lower level so rec then lower medium and the elite teams they probably offer me the rec or the academy because i'm a woman and they need younger ages it's poor because you're vastly more experienced <laughs> so now i have to pull up my resume i'm not saying that men don't have to do that but the eyes like okay we need we need women for the little one like they do they have more patience they're nicer they take care of them and then we're here trying to teach soccer and win championship. And it's like, we need to work with the lead. We have the profile to be working with 
elite players and elite teams. Mm -hmm. So why maybe they don't question you, but they will question me, is she really like, I mean, she's new to the club. Let's get her with the little ones and then little by little, if it's new in the club, well, he cares. In fact, we have this new coach that he's gonna do an amazing job. So why? And, and that's that's the point. Most of the female coaches are the ones who push through, right? And they put up with some mm -hmm. of that stuff. But those are the things that are happening. They're happening across the country. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you if you were to look at, you know, statistically, I, I should do this research, but statistically, almost every club probably has a director of rec that's a female, mm -hmm. but the ECNL director is a male. Like, I, I would say probably, if I had to make a guess, 95% of the clubs would be, of the ECNL clubs would probably be structured that way. And Don't get me started with the ECNL, by the way. That's my, that's just my example. Oh, ECNL directors, you know. That's, and she's amazing. That's rare. Very. And you're right, you're right. Iowa is progressive in that way. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. It's, you know, but these are the types of things um, you know, if I came, if I said, yeah, I played MLS, I would have all kinds of opportunities. Oh, yeah. But if I just show up and, you know, well, okay, what'd you do? What's your license? Where'd you play? No, let's, let's, let's start you here, yeah. and then we'll and then we'll see how you do. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's that's our reality. Sure, absolutely. And as this. And we were talking before the, the part and that's why we started it, just it being educational for people in Iowa and coaches in Iowa. And we want to make sure that we send a message and help. What are the things that we can do? People can do. People can do. Us on the part, things we can do that can help with this. And how can we kind of, how can we drive it? What are, what are the, is there, is there specific? Take coaching education courses, go to some coaching mm -hmm. Have these conversations. Mm -hmm. Think outside the box. Challenge. Have safe. I mean, these topics, they're hard. Like sometimes you may not feel okay sharing that. And this is how I felt. This is what happened to me. But also, what we say is we need to keep asking questions. We need to keep advocating for ourselves. And then there's going to be people like you guys that are asking us. Mm -hmm. Because if we would have done everything that we've done, probably we wouldn't be here. And what we want is to encourage those women or men that feel frustrated or wanted to quit because they are whatever going on in their life, kind of like speak up, there is a solution, find people that are gonna help you, find people that are gonna advocate for you. Um, and it goes back to coaching kids, like what are their needs? What are our needs? I want more. Keep going, keep going, being persistent. Everybody's gonna go through obstacles, but yeah, this coaching education, this is possible where you can see other perspectives and challenge your own vision. I think it's very important. Mm -hmm. I was just talking with one of the DOCs and- Who was it? Uh, James. BD. Yes. Yes. James said that when he listened to you, where you, where you advocated for yourself and you said, I want to coach this boys team, okay? Very rare for a female to step up and do that. Mm -hmm. 
And, and his, he, he said, I wrote that down and he said, you know what, I've got 15 to 20 female coaches in my club. He said, I've never asked them if they would like to coach another gender. Mm-hmm. He said, I'm gonna ask them. And I, for me, that's a perfect first step. Because mm-hmm. I, I was, you know, when we're going through that, I was like, oh, well, people need to listen. But we have to ask the right questions and then we need to be willing to listen because out of those 20 coaches, 10 of them might say, I only want to coach girls, but 10 others might actually really want to coach boys, but they don't have enough confidence yet to advocate for themselves. So if we ask the right questions and then we actively listen, we might discover ways to help these women. We might discover ways to think outside of the box, get outside of the box and problem solve. Awesome. Well, we always uh, end the new episodes with uh, just general question, um, favorite soccer memory. And it can be coaching, it can be playing. Even though you played against me, um, Probably Shut them out. Shut them well, out. Okay. Yeah, really I, got, I got a better one, okay. though. All right, here we go. This is how we um, always like to do I'm not saying it's better, but because Eloisa was a goalkeeper, I love to share this one. Um, I, I scored, a lot of, <laughs> scored a lot of goals in college, but we played against the U- University of Washington when Hope Solo was their goalkeeper, and I scored two goals on her that game. One of them I caught her on the near post. That's one of my all-time favorite soccer memories. And it's not because she wasn't Hope Solo yet. <laughs> but it's fun to be able to say, oh, you couldn't score on Hope Solo? Gotcha. Nice. <laughs> no, we'll watch out this thing with goalkeeper. <laughs> For me, uh, maybe this is very – it, it touches me because – as a goalkeeper growing up, I didn't have a lot of goalkeeper training. It's a still a struggle nowadays mm. to find goalkeeper tra- for clubs to offer that. Yeah. Like it's challenging. So I didn't have goalkeeper training and I had to find ways to, to learn because I'm like, man, we're losing, we're winning 11 1 and I'm getting beat up because I've led a, a goal. I'm like, what else can I do? You know? So, anyways, I started working with. His name is Juan Carlos Arevalo. He currently coaches the U17 of the men national team. He never coaches women or anything. Um, and I, again, I went and they say, I would like to train with you. And he looked at me like that, older men. He said, uh, well, I don't have a group of girls. I'm like, it's okay. So I was 18, 17. And he put me with the 15 boys. 16 because I mean I can tell like physically yeah. I couldn't keep up with them and they were 50 years old mm-hmm. like the strength the power the shots so many things but anyways I remember that week I started going with him amazing improvement I love it I cried many times after practice my <laughs> Tuesday training and we work on uh, saving from crossing but on a way where tactically we were seeing the forward dribbling out wide and we were looking at the ball but making sure, you know, if there is a shot to the back post, how we're going to position ourselves to just, you know, change, move our hips and dive and save it with our opposite hand. Mm-hmm. Trying to be very descriptive, it's challenging, but it doesn't make sense. Yeah, yeah. That's great. So I've never done that in my life. So we work on Tuesday on that. 
over and over for two hours. On Saturday, um, we went to Valencia to play. And I remember it was that situation. And I saw the player, and I remember being in a position like this sounds familiar. And then that girl was to was shooting back post. It was gonna be a beautiful ball. And all of a sudden, I do my steps, I open my body, I jump, and I save it with my other hand. I dove, and even my place like, oh my god, like, what was that? <laughs> I know, and I said, I learned that on Tuesday. <laughs> I'm like, so that's my favorite because I'm like. Practice is so important, man. Like yeah. it, it puts you in a position where you feel better and confident and sure. on the game. So that's brilliant. It's amazing. That's great great story. stories. Well, ladies, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for attending the Iowa Soccer Symposium as well. Any closing statements, thoughts? Is it how why is it important to go to symposiums? Especially this one. This has been a phenomenal event. It's been it's been a pleasure for me to be here because, um, you know, I, I, my kids were like, where, where are you going? Why are you going to Iowa? What, what is going on? You know, I've, I've done different things in the, in, and had opportunities to, to be a part of things like this. Um, and I've had to explain to my kids different reasons, you know, why I'm, and it always comes back to, you know what, just trying to educate and empower women. And this is the avenue that I get to do that. And I'm so grateful for it because I because this game has given so much to me. This is the way I choose to give back. And I love it. Um, but having opportunities to educate and empower, to see others, whether it's coaches or players, light up because a newfound confidence is in them, that's, that's what makes it all worth it for me. Yeah, this is my first time in Iowa. What do you think? I love it. What are you going to say? No, but I can't. <laughs> <laughs> you can't help coaching Michael. It's a great place to visit, I think. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great place to visit. I don't know the quote, but I like it. I think you guys are great people. And, and I go back to meeting Gareth. It's just great energy and good people around, very respectful. The event is very professional great presenters very I, I don't know i feel very blessed to be here honestly and this is my first time like say coming here and in a symposium like this so my only thing to say is that it's on us individually our responsibility to put ourselves in a you know different positions to learn to be challenged to show our vulnerability to be authentic and that's, I think, the door of growth. And if we ask that out of our players, we need to do that. Otherwise, we don't know what it feels to be outside our comfort zone or being just vulnerable. So that would be my thing. When I see coaches here asking questions, super engaged, involved, getting to know each other, that's amazing. Mm -hmm. Amazing. Thanks, ladies. Thank really you. appreciate it. Thank you.